Hello, my name is Ben and welcome to Field and Foley episode 12. I'm excited to introduce you to Christopher Bolt, a talented sound designer, mixing and mastering engineer and field recorders. Hailing from Germany and now based in Boston, he's shaping music, creating innovative tools and crafting captivating soundscapes for games and film. To add to the excitement, he's just returned from an exhilarating field recording expedition in Zimbabwe. So, hi Chris and thanks for taking the time to talk to me. Hello, thanks for having me, and thanks for that um, very flattering introduction there. <laughs> of course. I appreciate it. <laughs> I hope everything was correct. Uh, I try my best to do my research. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. Well, I'm glad. Um, always good to get uh, to get introduced by someone else for once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, so the first thing I, I'd really like to ask you right away is, um, and I will link this image in the description, but you have this photo of your trip where you stand like a few feet from a lot of angry and hungry birds feeding <laughs> on a cadaver. So how does it feel to be so near to those vultures feeding? Uh, it was awesome. It was uh, both mesmerizing to watch, but also terrifying in a way. <laughs> Not that they've been known to ever hurt humans or anything like that, but um, having, I don't know, like three dozen, three dozen vultures that are weighing like 40 pounds each just sort of go through meat like it's nothing and leaving nothing behind like 10 minutes later is kind of wild <laughs> and sounds wild too oh yeah i can imagine so it's like yeah it must be like a captivating soundscape but also it's like the this intense i, I could almost feel like the power of those animals from the picture it was like yeah you could really see this raw energy uh of animals so oof. yeah how <laughs> yeah. how did you get to to this uh, yeah this feeding is it like something that like the locals told you how to get to those occasions or like was it the right time right place moment uh kind of the latter yes so um when we arrived at the resort that we were staying in um the driver who was helping us out um essentially told us about oh yeah there's this uh, like charitable foundation that's doing a daily vulture feeding at the resort mm. essentially a little ways off sort of a little ways into um into the area that's uh not necessarily prim and proper, but all are sort of untouched. Um, and yeah, it's essentially uh, it's, it's essentially this thing where they collect um, food donations, like raw meat, spines, bones, that sort of stuff from local restaurants, um, and some uh, some from their own kitchen, and essentially feed vultures every day around 1 p.m. to, for one, um, help uh, like boost their population, because mm. there's been various um various hits to the population through like poachers poisoning them or them getting poisoned by eating animals that were treated with medicine that they that can kill them that sort of thing so they were doing it as an effort of yeah um conservation but also of course bring people very up close to these animals and sort of raise awareness of how important they are to um upkeeping the ecosystem there and also um stopping the spread of diseases holy hell yeah i didn't know that they were poisoned by poachers do you know anything more about that like how or why do they do this so what the guide was telling me is that one of the primary reasons it happens is because poachers know that 
vultures will guide the rangers to the site of a killed animal, essentially. Ah, um, I see. And so they'll uh, they'll place meat that's been that's been um, treated with poison, essentially, uh, so that the local vultures don't even make it to the site of like where an elephant's been shot or another animal, mm. um, and thus not alert any rangers. So even though there's anti-poaching laws in place and everything, it is still pretty common um, just because it is, uh, yeah, for many people who may not have much of a perspective as to what they can do, it's still an, a fairly easy way to make money, mm. although it can earn you a pretty significant prison sentence if you do get caught doing it. That's, that is horrible. Uh <laughs> It, yeah, it is. <laughs> Already sure. getting pretty dark in the first few sentences. That's that's awesome. <laughs> no, but it's uh, yeah, it's an interesting interesting insight into all that. And uh, I think you 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 have probably learned a lot um, about yeah about the culture and about the animals and the ecosystem there. So um, first, I wanted to ask you, how did you even get to record there? Is it something like you planned on doing, or did you have like some sort of uh, occasion um, to go there and record? Uh, it was also kind of a right place, right time moment <laughs> in that um, my uh, wife, her boss, was actually planning this trip for like a bunch of people to go on, but not as a group trip, um, but instead have it be like e e everyone can sort of organize their own trip, but they can essentially help us finding local guides and drivers and everything so that we aren't just stranded when we arrive there. Hmm. And so we were mostly independent, um, but it was sort of planned as a group event uh, and just was a great occasion to take gear along <laughs> and, uh, yeah, seize the occasion and record as much as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I can imagine that uh, I would also be right right up there with you and um, using that <laughs> opportunity to get my gear together. Um, yeah, and have you, do you have like any particular challenging or interesting recording in your travels? Anything that you're like, oh, this, this one was, didn't expect that or this was... Something, I mean, the vultures are already pretty intense, like standing yeah. next to them. But uh, yeah, anything else that, that maybe comes to mind? So I think, I think the biggest lesson I learned was sort of right from the get-go is realizing that um, pretty much all day, except for the hour of the vulture feeding, it was just constant helicopters oh, where shit. we were. <laughs> um, mainly because we were about five miles away from the actual Victoria Falls, as in the waterfalls. Mm. Um, and so, of course, helicopter tours are the thing that happens all day. Um, and where we were, especially even though we were looking over this huge patch of just pristine, untouched nature, um, over to the right of where we were looking was also where a lot of the helicopters took off. Um, so that immediately uh, made me feel like, oh, damn, do I, will I even get anything? Um, but then I realized they do stop at night. There's some opportunities to record then. Um, and there's also, of course, other locations that we can go to. Um, but so that was right out of the gate, a challenge that um, appeared immediately. <laughs> um, and another thing I was surprised by, too, is so I set up recorders uh, to record all night um, from different spots, including our uh, the porch as well, because it was just overlooking, uh, overlooking just um, grasslands, essentially. Um, was for one, the silence, like how many long stretches of just nothing there was which is also kind of wild to encounter coming from a ridiculously loud city <laughs> right now boston is quite brutal when you don't have earplugs in um and then also how loud the waterfalls were 
even though we were miles and miles away from them, like five or six miles. Um, it almost sounds like there's a big city nearby, but it's really just the rumble of those waterfalls. That's just a constant mm. drone that's happening. And sometimes ebbs and flows in really interesting ways, too. Like throughout long recordings, I've heard it sort of crescendo and decrescendo every half hour or so. Um, yeah, so that was super interesting to to experience just how powerful those waterfalls are, even even quite a ways off. That is, yeah, that is really cool. That is something that I always get a bit angry about when I'm playing a game. Um, like, for example, the first time I played Skyrim and mm -hmm. I was walking up to a waterfall and I couldn't hear it from like half a kilometer away. It was actually like, oh, this is so, I hate this. You can, you can have like a normal... <laughs> A conversation with an NPC right next to a waterfall and like, what are you doing, man? It's like, it has to be roaring. <laughs> it has to be like really annoying um, because like, yeah, it's raw power and it's a lot of water and it falls like a, a long way. So yeah, I can really relate, relate to that. And also to the to the silence, I'm, um, I was with my father on a, um, on a vacation once and, mm -hmm. and we came through Arizona and we stayed like near the Grand Canyon in a, in a very small town called uh, Medview. Yeah. And uh, I had my camera back then. I didn't record back then, unfortunately, but I will want to go back there to record. Oh, yeah. But I wanted to go um, out in the middle of the night and start to record, uh, start to shoot photos of the night sky and then maybe also the sunrise. And we drove out there with like motorcycles and parked them. And after we like get off them and dropped our gear... Uh, we just realized it was like completely silent, like absolute silence. And I mean, I'm used to, in my, in my part of Germany, I'm used to the woods and the nice, I would say, silence in quotes yeah. um, of the night. But that was something different. It almost felt like a vacuum and yeah, nothing, nothing. And then suddenly somewhere far away, a coyote howls or something. And it was yes. ah, just chills down the spine. It's amazing. Yeah. So you you also have a lot of uh, ambience recording then from from the silence and from the nature there. That's that's awesome. Yes, although I'm uh, still sort of um, working my way through those and seeing what is actually <laughs> how much of it is far enough above the noise floor. Even mm. though I used Uzi Pros and stuff, but <laughs> it's it's sure. definitely definitely a concern with how quiet it was. Um, but yeah, there was moments like that, especially at night where. There was yeah long stretches of nothing, but then on a couple occasions there were there was a single hyena, must have been very close to where we to where the microphones were set up, um yeah and it was like calling out in the middle of the night and you have this really gorgeous reverb just off these like huge planes, um, of just land that sounds just utterly haunting and really beautiful. So I'm super glad I caught that. That is wonderful. And you have like a lot of isolated events of like, oh, here's um, guinea fowls getting scared by probably some other critter. <laughs> <laughs> um, bird swarms coming in in the morning. Um, but yeah, a lot of like nicely isolated things um, and a lot of sounds I did not expect. And with <laughs> this like haunting, hauntingly beautiful reverb that I didn't even um, didn't even knew would just come off of this off of these flat planes. It's just, yeah, really cool. Oh yeah, that is definitely yeah. Some some sometimes you you get those unexpected reverbs where you're like, where is this coming from? Uh, right. <laughs> I had this once with a particular part of the forest um, near my home mm -hmm. where there's a reverb and it's it must come from some trees and combination of trees and wind, but it's like it, yeah, it's almost like an echo in the mountains and it's it's very yeah eerie and it has this like forest reverb. 
that's that's always yeah some kind of mysterious force to me yeah absolutely um yeah uh, talking about um gear because you know, you mentioned the the uzis um i would guess you would take them because they are very small so you can carry a lot of those um did you have any special gear you took on your trip um, besides those so i had to constrain myself to what would fit in sort of half of a carry-on um mm -hmm. Mainly because we've heard some stories about like checked check baggage getting lost with certain airlines, um, which actually happened to other people who went on the same trip. Their luggage showed up like seven days in. <laughs> mm. um, so I, we did pack everything into like carry-on suitcases that were as large as they could possibly be. Mm -hmm. um, and so what I brought um, mainly were, yeah, a pair of Uzis, always, always on me if I can. <laughs> um, same. H1N just to have like a recorder for anything that I um that I hear if I don't have the others on me. One of the newer uh Rycode shotgun microphones, mm -hmm. which was sort of my first sort of trial in the field for that one, and I actually really liked it. Um the Rode Ambisonic microphone that I mostly used for the waterfalls, um, and for some recordings in a little bird watcher's hideout um during sun uh, sunrise. And then did I bring anything else? I think that's it for microphones. I uh, brought an F3 just to drop a recorder somewhere and then the F6 for, for everything where I was going to be with my recorder and have the option of plugging in both the Uzis and the um, ambisonic mic at the same time to have like a stereo backup as well. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, that sounds like quite a lot. <laughs> Three recorders and a yes. bunch of microphones. That's <laughs> Yeah, when you think about it, right? It's a lot of gear then. Um, and one of the and one of those um, Ulanzi tripods that convert into a boom pole, like ooh. the ones that are really light stands, but they actually work really well for microphones because they're carbon fiber and affordable. And uh, you will have to send me a link to that because I've never heard of that, and it sounds like that is something I need because I'm I'm schlepping a lot of uh, tripods <laughs> with me all the time, and it's it's horrible. Yeah, they're awesome. They're like a more affordable version of the Manfrotto Nanopole, essentially. Um, mm -hmm. But it's all carbon fiber, and it uh, extends up to around six feet. So it's not like a boom pole you would use on like a movie shoot, but it's definitely yeah. fine to like dangle your microphone a little further away than what your arms can reach, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that sounds perfect. Like for my use case, awesome. <laughs> already, already got some new gear <laughs> to buy. Highly recommend it. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, I, as I said, like we, we put all those links in the description then um, so other people can use it as well. That's awesome. Um, yeah, and anything you um, in hindsight thought, oh, I shouldn't have brought that or something I should have brought um, that you think about now? I mean, in hindsight, I wish I had a parabolic microphone because that would have been amazing um, to have when for all those like distant sounds I've heard um, just from our porch and from like from other locations that we were in that yeah, the shotgun mic was just not going to cut it for. Yeah. But there's always, the grass is always greener. There's always other opportunities um, for <laughs> for extra gear to bring along. Um, but I'm also glad I didn't overpack, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but if if anything were possible, yeah, bringing a parabolic mic would have been amazing. Um, but alas, I don't have one at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I can I can relate to that. I, I bought some a while back, um, a Tilinga parabolic mic, and it's I, nice. I absolutely love it. The only thing is, like, yeah, you have to pack it. And the good thing is you can, uh, like, the dish is very flexible, so you can roll it up in a roll right. and just, um, yeah, carry it rather okayishly, I would say, um, but probably not in a carry-on. But it's like, yeah, it's if you need like isolated bird sounds or anything where you can't 
um, yeah, go near animals uh, as yeah. far as you would like. <laughs> that is a really cool thing. So yeah, really recommend it. But yeah, not flexible. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. The Wildtronics is on my is on my um, <laughs> is on my wants list. So oh, nice. yeah. we'll see how long that'll take. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, when you go back uh, or come back from such a trip, um, how do you approach organizing and cataloging all your recorded sounds? Like, do you have like a process for that? Um, any tips? Yeah. Um, so the very first thing I did, and I had a lot of other stuff to do right after I came back, so I dedicated like half an hour here, an hour there, um, sort of after work on the couch, that sort of stuff, mm. to at least get some organization into everything. And so what I generally did was, uh, first and foremost, I went through all the recordings with RX, um, especially the overnight ones that were eight, nine, ten hours long. Yeah. And just sort of put markers on any event, any sonic events that... Um, for one, sounded cool, but also were like usable for sure. Um, mm -hmm. So like keeping an ear on like the noise floor um, and uh, how much work would be necessary to like isolate certain things. Yeah, so setting markers for everything, going through all the files one by one that way, and one of the um, one of my hacks for keeping track of it is just one of the great macOS Finder features is that you can have colored tags for files. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I do like one color for has been reviewed and markered. And then from there, I proceed to like cut those events out, name them sort of vaguely um, as to if I have an idea of what the species is that I caught um, in that recording, I would name it that way. Otherwise, I would be like, unknown mammal <laughs> this time and date. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <T> Precise <laughs> information TBD. Um, and sort of, yeah, uh, um, save those specific spots that had those sonic events into individual files. So I have an overview of, for one, how much material there's going to be and um, what categories it roughly falls into. Uh, and from there, I put everything into Pro Tools to start laying things out, editing a little more, seeing what processing I have to do and setting up sort of setting up myself with markers and everything to then go through send stuff to Rx if necessary, that sort of thing, and go from there. Um, and then, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm at this stage at the moment, so after editing and everything, yeah, metadata would come, <laughs> would come after that. But I am making notes for myself in the little um, info pane that you get in macOS, just to have some notes in there that'll also show up in SoundMiner once I start working in there mm. uh, to tag everything. But yeah, trying to... Um, so trying to narrow down what sounds I'm, I want to edit early on, yeah, then editing, uh, then saving those out and then bringing them into Pro Tools and going from there. Yeah, and like, um, do you have a rough idea of how much material you will get out of that, like in gigabytes or minutes or whatever you have? It's a little hard to say at the moment. It's definitely going to be a little smaller than I thought, for sure. But I think all things considered, we might be looking at somewhere uh, somewhere around the two-hour mark or so. That's nice. Depending on how much of some of the continuous ambience recordings I'm going to be using. Mm. Yeah, with that, I'm not sure. It might even be a little longer than that, but we'll see <laughs> for sure. Uh, especially because a lot of the overnights were sort of uh, littered with like individual sonic events that then were followed by an hour of silence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I mean, like, two hours is, is not bad. I mean, uh, how long did you stay there? Uh, we were there nine days. Yeah, that's quite a good turnout. I definitely, yeah, I definitely wish I could have stayed longer or have had a, have had a couple more drop rig locations. But again, I'm definitely excited to get everything edited and really happy with what I did get, for sure. 
Yeah, yeah, I can imagine that. Um, yeah, and besides this this latest trip, um, any other trips you made in the past that uh, you were really like proud of or were really special to you? So it's actually my first like long distance dedicated field recording trip, mm. and that's mainly because myself working in sound design um, <laughs> uh, is only something that I started doing in the last four years or so. And that first of all came out of musical, like sound design for music, and then eventually led to wanting to actually do game audio, field recording, that sort of stuff more. Mm. So I th it was definitely the first dedicated trip, um, but I've always brought recorders to other ones. Like I made a little library with sounds from Berlin. I'm recording some ambisonic ambiences and such in Boston as the year goes by to maybe get a cool library of that too. But definitely hoping to do more of that in the future. It's something I'm yeah, super inspired by, um, and something that is, um, something that's taught me a lot about listening, being in the moment and sort of disconnecting myself from, <laughs> from all the woes of life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I hear that answer a lot. And uh, I mean, it's the same for me. It's like almost the meditation going out and recording and just, yeah, prolonged listening and intense listening. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so um, yeah, I feel it's probably a universal truth for people. Um, just concentrating on one sense. I mean, the, the same is true for, for photographers um, when they go out and, and have like just a camera in hand and are in this zone. It's also something they say that, yeah, that they zone out and just, just relax into it. Um, yeah, speaking of like your beginnings um, in recording, um, the question that I always ask every guest is, what is the first sound you ever recorded? Yes, <laughs> I've been I've been thinking uh, I've been thinking about that one. Um, oh, you're prepared a little bit ahead of time, <laughs> and because there were like a lot of occasions of me like recording something, <laughs> um, but I think one of the formative ones, or one of the probably the most formative one, and the first one I remember was it must have been between like seven and nine or so. And um, if you remember, like like hi-fi tape decks usually often often had like a microphone input. <laughs> yes. Um, with like a little volume dial for your like karaoke nonsense or whatever. And uh, my dad showed me that you can plug headphones into those and just like yell into the headphones and use them kind of like a microphone. Ah, nice. <laughs> yes. And so um, we played around with that a bit. Now, I did not understand how it worked at the time, but um, it's definitely something that made me curious about. Uh, yeah, like recording and the technology involved and, and how you how there's not just pre-recorded tapes of songs you know. <laughs> you can put your own stuff onto tapes. Um, so I think that's the first one I remembered, for sure. And I've been recording pretty much since I was around 10 myself. Okay, but and then just like for fun stuff, or did you also, or I mean, of course for fun if you're 10, but yes. <laughs> um, just your voice and, and goofing around, but or also like recording nature or recording animals or anything like that? Uh, really mostly goofing around. I remember making like, um, like GTA Vice City had a function where you could put MP3s into a folder and it would be, a, it would play on your custom radio station. Yeah. So like a friend of mine and myself made like, we had like a boom box with like built-in microphones and we made like our own one and a half hour radio program which <laughs> is awesome. really cringy and bad but um it was it was fun at the time <laughs> and then a little later on like i started like plugging my keyboard directly into the computer and recording with like windows audio recorder and experimenting that way and i started playing drums i had like a single microphone with like the headphone jack <laughs> kind of plug on there that i would 
plug straight into my sound card and just record my drums from different perspectives and seeing how the sound changes. <laughs> so I've always been recording something, um, but I would say I got uh, serious about it quite a bit later with music and such around when I was 14 or so. I started doing it both for myself, but also recording other bands from school <laughs> for like 50 bucks each, <laughs> something nice. like that. Yeah. It was quite fun, quite fun. And I have most of those recordings still too, which is even more fun. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah. yeah. You always, you never know when you can probably use those in, in a capacity for sound design. Absolutely. There's, there's stuff in there where I'm like, how did that happen? How did mm. we, how do we do that? Because <laughs> it was often, yeah, myself playing drums, my, one of my friends playing guitar and like one mic somewhere in the room. <laughs> mm. We even managed to... I know now that it's a bad idea, but he had like a sh little like Behringer amp um, and we were like, yeah, let's plug it directly into the line in on my sound card. Um, and like yep. the second time we did that, it fried the sound card yep. <laughs> with um, a quite big, uh, a quite big arc coming out of it. <laughs> so <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, lots of lots of formative recording experiences there. Uh, lots of try trial and error. Yeah, I mean, learning by failing, right? I mean, it's the that's the way yes. to go. That's the way to go. Yeah, actually, um, speaking of arcs, that's a that's a good segue into um, how I first came to notice you. Um, because you posted, I think it was on Airwiggles, your um, library uh, EMF essentials, like the recording oh, yes. of electricity. <laughs> yeah, and I really, really enjoyed that. And um, I mean, I also have um, one of the ones from, from LOM Audio, the... The Prezor, which you can like record, oh, nice. yeah, the, the electricity all around, and it's always fun. And I just wanted to ask you, what did you learn while you recorded this library? Did you like? I'm guessing, just like me, you started to put that everywhere and trying to find <laughs> out what makes what noise. Um, yeah, maybe something interesting you found out while while doing that. Yes. <laughs> um, so I I originally wanted to do I originally wanted to build my own uh, electro sluge <laughs> or electro sluge, whatever you call it. Yeah. Um, and failed quite a bit. Um, so like my soldering skills were up to par, but my um, assembly skills were not. <laughs> so I ended up buying some electro Uzis, which are the passive inductors that you can just plug directly into the recorder and was kind of taken aback by um, how, how many different sounds <laughs> you can get out of, especially things like computers and phones and such, Yeah, where Especially with those, you can bring them so close to the device to the point where you hear like the clock frequency of ind individual components, and yeah, like where you can sort of look at like an interior photo of your MacBook and like hold the things there, hold the Uzis there, and be like, "Oh, that's what that sounds like. <laughs> this is what my RAM sounds like." So I think that was that was quite cool, and to see like how even mundane things like a wireless keyboard can create kind of fun sounds that um you can turn into a lot of or that immediately uh, make you think like oh i can turn this into a lot of really cool like sci-fi weapon or spaceship sounds or something so it's just a cool exercise and yeah finding like sounds in in objects that you haven't really thought about much and that you're just using um and i have like a huge list in my notes of everything i want to hold them to still <laughs> that i haven't yet finished off like down the road there's one of those little signs that tell you how how fast you're going mm. with like a little radar thing in there and yeah. when i walk by i hear it like humming and i'm like oh yeah i want to record that that probably sounds cool <laughs> while a car is going past um yeah so it, just like field recording itself does it opens yourself opens your ears up to ideas of like oh i wonder if this like electric device may have some cool sounds that are that are just hidden in plain sight 
Yeah, absolutely. It's the same for me. And um, uh, the first thing that, that really like brought me uh, brought me into experimenting more with it was when I was putting the Prezo over a power supply and it was like a, mm-hmm. I think a 50 or 60 hertz one. And of course it made a 60 hertz noise. So you had like a yeah. really awesome bass. And I just by like wiggling the wiggling the microphone back and forth, I could uh, like perform a bass line. Yes. And I was like, oh <laughs> fuck, this is awesome for like, it's just, yeah, making music, making bass notes. And it also has this, this, yeah, this electric quality. I mean, yeah, it's stupid to say it like that, but yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. And it, uh, you can also feel it um, in, in the sound. So um, yeah, that's, that's a, that's a fun thing, but it's interesting that you said that you try to build it yourself. I'm going to have to look into how to build one myself because. Yeah. They have it posted in their wiki. Um, Oh, nice. The link yeah, to the right. article, and it's okay. But like for me, it was like I got a bre- the only breadboard I could find that was roughly similar. wasn't exactly the same dimensions, and like the photos aren't that clear to tell which trace goes where. And I was like, mm. oh god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I course. put everything together, and there's no sound. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have the same issue with my uh, modular synth behind me. It's like a <laughs> uh, I'm doing like a paint by numbers thing where it's like okay, I know which components I need, I know where they need to go, and I sold it all up. If it works, awesome. If it doesn't work, I have no idea about electronics. So uh, <laughs> I'm I'm starting to uh, learn slowly how all this works so I can debug them myself. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's I, I can feel your pain. If it doesn't work, if no sound comes out, you're like yeah, and now what? I mean, you can double check <laughs> the components, you can solder everything again just to make sure. But yeah, at some point it's like. Hmm. <laughs> You need to have some kind of knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. It's almost like there's a reason why people go to school for that. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. And while people that make really good microphones and also interesting microphones like LOM is like, uh, yeah, it's it's worth the money. And and also those are, I mean, still amazingly cheap, um, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because it's like, yeah, they are all very, very good quality and they are all fun to use. And the people are, are so nice. Um, yeah, communicating with them is also awesome. So... Uh, hopefully I get to interview some of them um, at some point as well. Oh, I'd love to hear that. Yeah, it's it's great to see so much um, like DIY, uh, DIY culture sort of hitting hitting the mainstream in music tech a lot more. I mean, Modular, of course, is one of the big examples. Um, there's like a huge store in the Boston area here that specializes in mostly DIY modular components and such. But also to see people finding like those unicorn off the shelf microphone capsules that just perform amazingly well and then yeah like starting up a little shop and building these microphones that make them accessible to a ton of people around the world it's yeah super exciting and cool to see that we're no longer just bound to like four or five mic manufacturers Mm. that everyone's trying to get (laughs) products from absolutely yeah it's really really cool development that i wasn't even aware of before i just like randomly saw someone mentioning them on like when i just got accepted to the field recording slack and someone was like oh uho pros on sale <laughs> i was like yeah sure i'll get those <laughs> yeah that is awesome i mean same for me when i started out and i wanted like uh i wanted a contract microphone and i by chance saw a video from a music producer i really like um he's called heck uh, with h-e-c-q mm-hmm. i don't know how you spell it but he makes like really nice intricate beats and um there was like a special video 
for him and Ableton and he was using like contact microphones and underwater microphones, putting them into a glass and swirling them and I was like, wow, this sounds really amazing. Yes. Yeah, and it turns <laughs> out it was from Jess Riley French. Um, I had him on my podcast on episode three. And yes, he, I remember that. Yeah, he builds all those things and you can really tell that he's like really into it and fine-tuning, like finding the best way of building those, um, making it sound as good as possible and so you get a really handcrafted microphone for, a, I would say, absolute fair price yeah um so yeah that's that's so cool to see and then yeah through through that i came also to lom and to other manufacturers and now i'm, I'm every every time i i talk to some people like me i'm asking them do you know maybe any microphone manufacturers i don't know so also <laughs> to you the question maybe do you know anything interesting that m people might not know um, besides uh, jess riley and besides lom audio um <laughs> I feel like since I get my since I got a lot of the information through Reddit and and the field recording Slack, maybe not. But um, I mean, I've recently started ordering some stuff from uh, Sonorous Objects, specifically because the because um, they make like super low profile XLR cables, um, which mm. are handy for drop breaks and such. And he makes like the same kind of microphone microphones that like Mike Booster and Lom are doing for a very similar price. But if you're in the US, of course, it's nice because, um, yeah, shipping is cheaper and they arrive a little sooner. But yeah, pretty much the same idea, just slightly different construction. Um, but what is nice is that they make like the EM272s and some other mics with a regular XLR plug, kind of like the basic Uchos. Um, but they're a little more re readily available at the moment. Um, so if you do need them in a pinch, it's kind of cool that you can order them there. They are like partially 3D printed, like the the um, capsule mount is, so I don't know how well they fare in like humidity versus the loams, which seem pretty much bulletproof in that regard. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely gonna put those to the test for <laughs> some rain recordings and such in the near future. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I haven't heard from them and that's good. I mean, we, we put it in the description and if someone from America's listening, maybe yeah. they haven't heard of him, so. They also make tiny cardioids, which is kind of cool. So you can you could even do like an XY um, array that could fit within a BBG. Oh, nice. Um, so you wouldn't need to have like two wind bubbles for it. That's very cool. Yeah. So it's kind of cool to have like a really tiny cardioid mic with the same capsule, just vented in the back. Um, or a similar capsule, yeah, just vented in the back for the cardioid pattern. Um, so that's something I do want to try out in the future. Yeah, that, that sounds pretty good. Um, yeah, and going back to, to the recording... Um, do you like uh, have anything that you've run into and found a solution now? Because um, I feel like, um, yeah, just like we were talking about boom poles and, and tripods, I right now have like a boom pole, an actual like boom pole mm -hmm. um, that I have in my hand because it's rather lightweight and I can use it as a, as a walking stick, but still I have to carry it around <laughs> um, because yes. I have the tripod on my backpack. And so it's like, it's not optimal yet, so I'm, I'm trying yeah. to improve on that. Do you have anything else where you're like, oh, in the beginning I had this and it's like, yeah, so stupid, and I have this wonderful solution for everyone. <laughs> mm, kind of hard to say, again, because field recording is still something that I've... I mean, I'm now actively doing, but haven't always been actively doing. I was mostly recording music um, for <laughs> for the majority of my of my life thus far. It doesn't have to be just for field recording. I mean, for general recording or for general for sound design, whatever comes to mind, because sometimes you have something where it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm doing this, and people are like, what? I've never heard of that. So um, it's always good to just, yeah, whatever you have. Yeah, that is a good question. Um, just thinking about that, one of the first things that pop, pop into my head um, 
relate to both music but then sound design once you're in the DAW um, for sure is that through now I want to say about 12 years of mixing or so hmm. I've definitely um, I think it's 12 maybe even more um, I think definitely relying more on bus processing than than like slamming individual tracks has been game changing for my workflow especially in music but also for things uh, but also for things in sound design where you're like well I want this entire vehicle that's sort of consisting of like 15 different tracks to sound fatter it's like why well, mm-hmm. instead of going to town on every single track like maybe processing the entire the entire thing together can have a much bigger impact and give more coherence to everything and it's gotten to the point especially in music where like bus processing is doing most of my heavy lifting for anything from drums to backing vocals to um to like even the master bus at times too so that for sure um was one of my biggest learns in mixing as was parallel compression as well <laughs> yes i remember um, that johnny <laughs> yeah i mean from uh, <laughs> i used to put so many compressors on vocals until i was like what is this mix knob for <laughs> <laughs> and it's like wow this sounds so much better um yeah, so parallel compressing vocals, master bus, drums, uh, explosions. Uh, yeah, like throw it on everything, try and see what it does to it. And if it sounds good, leave it on. <laughs> definitely, um, definitely one of my favorite techniques. Oh, uh, one thing uh, that field recording taught me for sure was also losing my fear of non-cardioid microphones. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like um, talking, having talked to many people who are in music production and recording and such, I feel like Omni microphones are getting a bad rap, um, unless you're a classical recordist or again, field recordist mm-hmm. of like, whoa, but I want to isolate my sound source and I want to have like stereo, but only in front of the mics and stuff like that, where a lot of like professional recorders and tone meisters will be like, well, if you can try Omnis first, and then if you have any difficulties with those, then try directional microphones. But yeah, it's just been kind of magical to to explore the lovely world of Omnis and how great they sound in nature and for music and in pianos and for classical recordings. Yeah. <laughs> that was also something that field recording taught me first and that I've now sort of utilized in all areas of recording. Yeah. That's very cool that you can like, um, get, get back new impulses from, from field recording into other, into other roles as well. I have the same thing. Um, the same with like music making or mm. or sound design in general um sometimes i record something and then later on i find out oh yeah i could record that and just use it as this and uh, yeah um i don't have a specific example now but I, I i have so many things in my head about like yeah i i remember like like things clicking in my mind um mm-hmm. because of something totally unrelated of recording something in the woods and uh yeah especially also the microphones of course um because yeah also in the beginning i was thinking yeah i need I need this parabolic mic just for those simple mono sounds for those birds. And of course, this is very, very useful. But then um, lately, I've also had uh, the pleasure of getting the Ampisonics mic from Rode, uh, the same that you have. Nice. And having that as a, I would say, as a general ambience in the background, because I mean, of course, you can turn around, but you can't go like really near something or far. Right. But if you have it as like a general ambience in the background, um, you have already filled your your soundscape so much just with one recording, um, and then you can place those those mono sounds in engine, and uh, yeah, for game audio, it's something that's yeah that's really really exciting to me, and I'm yes yeah I'm so excited d- d- diving deeper into this. 
yeah, it is such a killer mic. I'm so glad it exists at the price it does. <laughs> um, and yeah, that's been definitely, um, definitely my favorite mic purchase <laughs> thus far. Um, even, even if I don't have a surround rig here yet or anything, yeah, even just listening to it just with headphones is just so immersive and lovely. Yeah, absolutely. And also, I'm I'm such a big fan of binaural sound. Yeah. Especially also, I've I've heard some music recordings from from a performance in binaural that was really really amazing. And you can you can do so much cool stuff with that. Um, the only gripe I have with it, to be honest, is um, I really love very very quiet ambiences. Right. And you always have a noise floor, of course, and especially with an array of four microphones, you have four times the noise floor. So, um, what I'm now exploring is trying to find somewhere near me an anorechic chamber where i can just record the self noise of the microphone for denoising um, <laughs> yes <laughs> so yeah as you can see i'm i'm getting really deep into the nerdy stuff now but that is something that my goal is now to bring all my microphones there so that whenever i record something just like you said like a very quiet ambience i want to have the chance to clean that up as as professionally as possible and have a really really yeah hopefully as pristine as possible recording of almost silence because I just love those things. And yeah. oftentimes when, you, when you're out and recording something um, that is quiet, you tend to just raise your gain so it gets a bit louder, so you can hear at least something. And then when you listen back, um, at least for me, it's like it feels not the same as being there. I mean, it never feels like the same because, of course, right. it's microphones are not your ears. It's another pair of ears. But it always feels a bit too, I don't know, too loud and too noisy. And yeah, right. that is my that is my goal now. Trying to find a way of recording really silent environments that <laughs> that sound not too noisy. Yeah, we will see if I succeed. I will let you. You gotta know. gotta make friends with people at a technical university. <laughs> I think some of them have have those. Yeah, yeah. This, we have one in my town, so hopefully they have a chamber. I haven't reached out to him yet, but yeah, <laughs> I will. I will try to find one. I actually was in in Denmark um, a few months ago, and I was in a very cool um, place that's called the Sound Art Lab. It's the old, um, the company Bang & Olufsen, the, um, yes. the old factory of them. Mm. And they like just basically they built a new factory at some point and they left almost everything in there, even some desks. And they said like, yeah, it, it's like for the community now, you can do art installations, people can do experiments. That's and awesome. Yeah, it's, it was amazing. And I, like uh, a really nice person showed me around there and uh, they actually had one of those chambers, but it was I, a, I hadn't had any microphones with me, just like a bunch. And also it was very, very old and moldy. So I'm not sure it was the healthiest thing <laughs> to stay fair, in yeah. there for a long time. So yeah, but it was awesome. It was the first time me walking into those chambers. And yeah, I must say it's it's exhilarating. It's just, oh, I, I don't know if you've ever been in, in a chamber like that, but... Sadly not yet, no, but I can... I mean, I can't imagine, but yeah. um, <laughs> it must feel quite wild. I mean, somehow I can just say that's, that it feels exactly like you would expect it to feel. Like if you have it yeah. in, if you see it in movies or if you see it in like a creative way that somehow people get deaf or something, it's mm -hmm. it's the same. It's like at, at first it's eerily quiet for like, I would say one or two seconds, but then it starts that your your body adjusts and your hearing adjusts and tries to find some kind of sound so you hear any, right. anything. Like every heartbeat and like, you're breathing and oh, it's just, yeah, intense. Yeah, I can, I can imagine, yeah. That's also something that's kind of like, 
how we sometimes like to obsess a bit about noise floor where it's like oh i captured this really quiet thing yeah now let me bring it up really loud to like <laughs> listen to, to to like listen to any imperfections and sort of i think sometimes that can also plant a bit of like a bug in our heads um where we're like oh this is way too noisy i can't use it but then it's also like at the end of the day like anyone who would be using that sound would place it at like minus 60 luffs or something like that mm. um as like a bed underneath thing so i don't know it's yeah sometimes it's a little harder to gauge because cranking it up all the way sort of robs your brain of the actual perspective of that that this would give you if you listen to it at a closer to real life volume i guess um so it's something i'm learning too <laughs> right now with, with field recordings of um forgive uh, cutting the gear some slack there i mean like well i'm trying to boost this by 65 decibels maybe that's really <laughs> the <laughs> that's really the issue absolutely yeah absolutely i can understand that that's totally that's totally the case and i mean if you take any room tone recording you have um even if it's like from a very high quality library or right. even a movie if you turn up your gain very loudly so you can hear this that's essentially it's also just noise and yeah, just this white noise or pink noise or whatever noise it is right there. And uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, yeah, that's something that that is that is true. Um, just the only thing I have with that right now is that I know of other recordings that I hear yeah. that are amazing, that I also can oh, turn yeah. up a bit and I'm like, oh, this is such a clear thing. I mean, the example I have is uh, right now, my last recording with the Ampersonic mic was in um, the Abandoned Mineshaft. I also... I was there a while ago and I will go again probably. Nice. And it is so cool because you have no birds, no airplanes, no traffic. You hear only the reverberations of the single drops, individual drops falling down. Mm -hmm. And sometimes there are very little drops and very low volume drops. So yeah, even if you try to like boost it just a bit so you can hear it and it's awesome, you have this constant noise floor and I know how it sounds when I'm in there and it's not like that. So right. yeah, it's just this obsession of trying to get exactly that sound across because it's such a special place to me. But I can understand, yeah, of course, it's the obsession right. <laughs> of getting that stuff as clean as possible. And it's funny too, because our brains can like, our ears also have self noise, but our brains know yes. how to how to sort of listen against it and... um yeah, sort of just render that out essentially and have us still be able to focus on other things. Just like we can isolate voices from really loud soundscapes like downtown Boston would be, for example. <laughs> um, yeah, our brains are just a lot better at processing that than electronics are at this point in time. Absolutely. Yeah, that's also something that I, I always like to tell people when, when, we, when I talk about what I do and why I like sound and what's so interesting that... Um, what they really can relate is to, for example, when they live in a noisy place and they have this traffic noise. And mm -hmm. in the beginning, it's very noisy. But after a few weeks, like your brain adjusts and you can sleep rather well. I mean, some people can't do it, but it's like normally you can't filter out those things. And then I tell them, just like you said now, that we have also the self-noise that gets filtered out constantly. And technically, right. there is always noise in our head, but we don't need it. So the brain says, yeah, just drop it. And uh, yeah, the whole realm of psychoacoustics and all that stuff is is just immensely interesting to me and something i really need to explore more and more in the next years yeah absolutely it's it's uh wild how <laughs> how unmatched the brain still is in uh yeah how we can process our senses and um yeah just to perceive the world even even when there's so many distractions everywhere yeah speaking of like 
special sounds. Um, do you have anything that you'd really like to record and haven't had the chance yet to do so? I mean, Vultures is pretty high up on my list, I would say. <laughs> like, Wild Animals in Africa is something that I really like to have the chance at someday, hopefully. Um, I mean, one thing you've already mentioned, um, I do want to do um, Mineshafts for sure, <laughs> because um, my hometown um, of Bückeburg in, uh, in uh, Lower Saxony actually has sort of a system of abandoned mines that are go quite deep into the mountain and also there's underground lakes mm. and some quite scary um quite scary crevices <laughs> <laughs> that go further down than anyone really would care to <laughs> care to admit so i'd love to do that and get like impulse responses and like maybe some ambisonic ones too that sort of thing and there's also an old World War II arms factory in one of our mountains as well that's sort of sealed off to the public but gets opened up every now and then uh, for tours. So it would be, yeah, amazing to record those eerie soundscapes there too and maybe even sort of um, use that as, as a means of like raising awareness to things we shouldn't forget about our past. <laughs> yeah. So I think that, I think that would be amazing. Um, I definitely want to travel a lot more to yeah find the remaining pockets of silence that we still have both in the US and outside um but in the near future it's probably going to be more so in the US <laughs> yeah and yeah I I think mostly yeah see a lot of things hear a lot of things finding finding silence yeah I think that's what I can think of right now yeah finding finding silence is uh, yeah it's also my thing I mean um yeah the The only thing I have right now on my plate that's uh, hopefully in the near future is like a like a big surface mine thing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we have some in Germany, some of those big like um, areas where they mined like very deep into the ground and you have those big yeah. massive pits. And I can imagine like maybe the reverb is pretty nice. Maybe like some rocks falling down is pretty nice. So, oh, yeah. um, but also just like I said, like awareness to those, to the scope of us, breaking open the earth mm -hmm. um that's something that is at, at yeah equal times horrible and horrifying to me but also fascinating yeah and something i really want to see and of course for sure listen to to myself for myself because um yeah that's i think it's something that's yeah that's not ordinary and that that always excites me I wonder if anyone's recorded those giant coal diggers that we have in Germany yet, because um, those must sound amazing too, but I don't yeah. know how close you could possibly get to them. That's the thing. I mean, uh, my plan is to bring my parabolic mic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yes, you already you already know my plan then. But no, I, it's, that's something that I really wanted to try to to get a recording of those as well um, and use those in like mechanical yeah, enemies or any, any design yes. I, I, can, I can need. And also like have the ambience in like after hours when, when nothing is is running and have the the quieter ambience from there. So yeah, I I will also reach out to some people. Maybe I have even the chance to to go there. But yeah, most of the time, of course, we don't have that chance because of security and safety issues. So, but yeah, we will see. But that's yeah, that's something that's on on my plan. And yeah, if you're ever in Germany and go to and we'll, we'll go to a mine, um, let me know. I'm happy to. If you want oh, me absolutely. to join you, or I can show you my mine, you can show show me your mine, <laughs> and uh, yeah, because it's all yeah, it's I I think we live pretty close, or your home is pretty close to mine. Yeah, it's not too far from Minden, and then not too far from Hannover. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, I can 
I can drive up there. Yes. So um, <laughs> maybe uh, speaking of the future, do you have um, any upcoming projects or collaborations that you're excited about that you can already share and talk about? Like anything non-NDA? <laughs> so, I mean, I'm working on a handful of indie games that I can't really talk about, sadly, um, but <sighs> I am excited about them. <laughs> um, but then also... Um, I'm working on a couple of libraries, of course, the Zimbabwe one um, coming before the end of this year. I have like a rain library in the works that I've recorded f for the last four to, yeah, four to six months nice. um, to get nice and clean rain sounds. And then in general, just, I mean, my website is uh, my pride and joy. <laughs> it's like my favorite hobby is maintaining my website. <laughs> um, so bolttracks.com, uh, a visit is always appreciated. And then other things I'm working on is, I mean, yeah, as many of us are trying to find, <laughs> trying to find a sustainable job in game audio. <laughs> um, also thinking about going back to school as well to get like an official degree to cement that as well. Um, but we'll see where that goes. Um, but yeah, I would say my website is the best way to stay up to date. And I... And trying to put out libraries at a pretty regular pace um, with some freebies here and there as well. Yeah, I can also really recommend um, checking those out. And uh, of course, I will also put it in the description. Um, check those out. Those are amazing. And I'm really looking forward to your latest library uh, and listening to the Watcher Sounds. I'm, I'm so excited. Um, yeah, and maybe um, besides that, do you have some of uh, your own favorite sound libraries you use or recorders that you really like that you know of? So, um, I mean, for one, I've gotten so much stuff through crowdsourcing um, that I can highly recommend to anyone who has not done one yet to absolutely participate. And um, you'll grow your sound library in no time and you'll get so much recording experience out of it. So definitely participate in any sort of crowdsource you can find that seems doable. <laughs> That's definitely my advice there. Um, otherwise, some of my favorite recordists would be or literally my my tied for the number one spot are probably George Vlad and Thomas Rex Beverly. Um, mm. Just because, I mean, as far as ambience recordings and like ambience recordings, yeah, George Vlad is amazing with how much effort he puts into it and how far he goes um, to get to get us sounds that, yeah, are just unmatched in yeah their quality and sort of their elusiveness. Um, and then Thomas for finding really cool sound um, design opportunities in things like glaciers, giant pine cones. Yeah. The Bode Cactus Library is just insane. Yeah, so I think <laughs> they're tied for my number one spot <laughs> for for different reasons there, but they're absolutely people I look up to and I love using their sounds. Oh yeah, same here, same here. Uh, especially the the last one from from Thomas, the gl glacier ones. Uh, the the photos alone are just like awe inspiring. Him hanging yes. like on wires, steel wires, and then this above this open pit that just looks like it goes yeah. straight down to hell. It's so, it's so amazing, yeah. And um, and the interview with him too, where he talks about like <laughs> pieces of ice the size of a skyscraper just cracking off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the ah. the face of the glacier are terrifying uh saddening but also sound absolutely incredible and yeah like sounds we won't sadly won't be able to capture for much longer so it's also important work at the same time it's not just for oh these are awesome sounds uh that someone's making money with i think it's super important that we preserve them too 
Absolutely, yeah. That is something that I also always really like in people that try to find specific animal recordings and try to get recordings of specific situations like uh, mating calls or like, uh, yeah, different different kind of species that you only have in, in different parts of the world um, because just like you said, like the audio conservation part of it is is also really a big thing for me. And nowadays, um, fortunately, we have so much opportunity to back up stuff that it's hopefully that, uh, yeah, none of the really important stuff will get lost in the years, but we will see. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, I think I'm all out of questions. So the only thing I have left now is to ask you, do you have any shout outs, anything you want to promote, except that you already did, but I mean, anything <laughs> else, anyone you want to shout out, the floor is yours. Um, haven't thought about that one. Uh, let's see. I mean, I personally would love to shout out for one, the field recording Slack, like everything, everyone should be on there. Um, if they can, everyone should join. It's an amazing space to be in. Um, Air Wiggles, uh, the first audio community that's actually good <laughs> and actually seems, <laughs> yes. seems to sustain itself. Um, mainly because it's not about everyone trying to get jobs. I think that helps a lot. Um, those two for sure. Um, for anyone looking to get into game audio, yeah, gameaudiolearning.com, amazing resource. It's helped me a lot already, uh, and I'm also still <laughs> still having a lot to learn. And I would also say uh, definitely shout out to Soundly too, um, which is one of the tools that definitely got me got me going uh, early on. Yeah, with a great library and just a really uh, amazing sound library manager. Awesome. Yeah. So again, uh, thank you for taking the time to talk to me, and uh, yeah, happy rest of your day. Same to you. Um, schöne Grüße <laughs> und auf Wiedersehen. Auf Wiedersehen. Looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to? We're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. Be sure to hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting on patreon.com slash fieldandfoley or ko-fi.com slash fieldandfoley, where you gain early access to episodes in lossless format and can submit questions for our guests. Thank you for listening.